0: Hey everybody, it's Todd Dills here with this week's edition of Overdrive Radio. We've got a special treat for you today that comes by way of the fact that I'm out in California at the A.J. Souza Memorial Truck Show in Merced. My esteemed colleague, the Muller Trucking driver, songwriter, and longtime Overdrive Extra contributor, Long Haul Paul Marhofer, will take the reins today to introduce a remarkable operator from the Northeast with a clear love for trucking and all that it, it entails. not without caveats of course to have among them an appreciation for the difficulties of life back home for those over the road there's more where that came from On the other side of the intro here's paul marhofer
1: it was 2017 when mike gaffin also known as the boston trucker received an email Shell Super Rigs, inviting him to join their team. Over the past several years, Gaffin, a second-generation driver with over 30 years of experience behind the wheel, had been converting his lifetime love of trucking and a decades-long photographic curation of the industry into one of the largest followings on social media, with likes and views in the tens of millions. Still, he dismissed Rotella's proposal initially as a crank email, but after a phone call, it turned out the offer was legitimate. Gaffin, who still trucks full-time, has joined the Shell Rotella Super Rigs team at select shows throughout the country ever since. I caught up with Mike at Matt's this past March. This is his story.
2: I grew up in trucking, and I feel like I've never gr- never grown up. Like, when I'm in my car or my truck, I see every other every truck going the other way. I remember when I was a kid, I would pick them out. Even at nighttime, you knew which truck was by the light patterns. The, and I'd be riding with my dad, and I'd see trucks coming up in the mirror, and, I, and, and You'd know which kind of cab over it was by the headlights coming on. I haven't changed, and I still feel like a kid. I'm a 52 year old man now that hasn't grown up, but I grew up with trucks, and it's just my passion. I love it. It's not even—it's not even—it's work, but it's not like a job to me. I mean, to most guys who love it, you grow up every day, no matter what's going on at home. When you get in the truck, that's where you're like. This is, my, this is my place to be. This is where I'm the most comfortable, I'm the most alive, and nothing else matters. You grew up with your dad in the truck. Where are you originally from? Where did he truck, and what's sure. that whole story? So, I grew up in Brockton, Massachusetts, and my dad is from Israel originally. He came here with his family when he was 13, and he had to go to work right away to help support his brothers and sisters. He was the oldest of three, and he started out working in a meatpacking warehouse unloading swinging and beef. And one day when his boss was on vacation, he went out and got his license, because back then you didn't have to take a road test, you just had to have somebody vouch for you. And and he got he got a license and his boss came back and he's he said, I've been driving for a week now. And his boss let him be, he wanted to make a dollar, a dollar an hour more, the truck drivers were getting paid. So he became a trucker and he was a teamster for 10 years. And then when deregulation happened in 1980, my dad was forced to drive over the road, which is where he stayed as a company driver and then an owner-operator. You talk, you sing about your Western Star. My dad's first truck was the like 87 Western Star, brand new. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, brand new, no frills at a single bunk, one stack, no Jake brake, 315 Cat, running 48 states, and um, that's the first truck I drove as a teenager, riding with my dad coast to coast in the summer, vacations. I would drive. I was 14, 15 years old. Dad would take a t- two-hour nap and say, just keep it straight. Running across Montana. I was driving across Nashville at 14 years yeah, old.
1: You were 14 14,
2: yeah. yeah. And I couldn't even downshift back then. I, I I would try, and I would just grind the gears. And to stop, I had to put the clutch in and put it in neutral and just come to a stop. I eventually learned. I'm, st- I'm still learning. I'm st- starting to get the hang of it now. But, And then my dad progressed to Peterbilt's. I started driving when I was 18. As soon as I turned 18, I got a license. And my goal was to drive over the road. And by the time I was 19 years old, I was running coast to coast for a company out of Massachusetts. Who didn't care that I was underage. She had to be 21. They just said, don't get caught. And I was running a cab over international. The truck I had didn't even have a mattress in it to start. I brought a sleeping bag with me, a shower bag, a couple changes of clothes. And I would run to Evansville, Indiana, TJ Maxx Warehouse. From there, i go down to the Carolinas. I'd load paperback out of Alabama or out of Georgetown, South Carolina. And then we started running Vegas and L.A. And everything was floor loads, hand loads. Everything was driver load and paper logs and 4,000, 5,000 miles a week. I would turn Vegas six and a half days, 5,600 miles, not know any better. I didn't even know how to do a recap. And in 92, they were talking about everybody had to start running legal. The CDL was coming out. And i got nervous and i was running really illegal so i ended up getting a job for a company out of minnesota called budmeyer truck lines and i was 22 i started there in a cab over Peterbilt, built which was an insult to me because i was already driving a long nose truck which was the goal back then is to get into a hood but i knew i had to pay my dues six months in a cab over Pete, everybody wants a cab over now because it's nostalgic i even do and then I got a three seventy nine, and I just started running coast to coast for them, and uh, it's been awesome. It was, it's been awesome. And I, I ran the road for twenty years till my kids were born.
1: So you've country. you've got this like origin story of like the years of the early years of roughing it in trucking, and yeah. you, somehow you've never lost your love for trucking. Yeah, I, I'm going to be honest, Mike. I'm I'm just kind of burnt out on the whole thing. I, yeah. I I I. I, I, I truck one or two weeks a a month and i feel kind of ashamed of that uh talking to a guy like you who you never really lost your love for how how did that how how did you like keep this there's almost like this aesthetic sensibility that you bring to trucking with all the the beautiful videos you make with the old trucks and everything you
2: know i don't think it's anything to be ashamed of you know you've done your time and it's time now In your older years to relax and and enjoy life more so i i I, i'm envious of that Uh, for me i'm still not at that point i do some see myself someday wanting to retire and slow down and work a couple weeks a year like you i really i tell my wife that all the time when i get into my 60s i'm going to slow down we'll go to more truck shows do some more trucking for me i just i'm still at the point where i'm still that young kid riding with my dad and it just hasn't gone away and every day i'm blessed to go down the road and be able to drive my truck and still drive a truck with a shifter in it and it's all about the old school to me the old school ways guys like you who paved the way guys like my dad who I respect and uh, never feel worthy of being in your guys presence and uh yeah
1: uh, well I don't don't put too much stock in this gray here there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of old fools
2: running around sure, I might sure.
1: be one of them but is your dad still with us
2: my dad, yes, my dad's still with us. He retired in 2009 in his, he was almost 70. He's still with us. Yep, he's around. Not, But I should say, my dad, he didn't have it as easy as that. He worked a lot harder than I did, and he always tried, would always say to me, you're not going to drive a truck. Over my dead body, you're going to drive a truck. I didn't work this hard for you to drive a truck, too, yet would let me drive and dangle <laughs> it over, my, over me and teach me everything since I was six years old. But... I went out and got my license without even him knowing, but he's still around. But the road is taking a toll on his body.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, He's got overweight, cellulitis, bad knees, bad shoulders, can't walk now. Mm. It's it's been really rough. So I use him as an example to remind other drivers. You can't just be gluttonous on the road. You kind of got to take care of yourself. And uh, I look at my dad, I I don't want to end up like that. You know, and he's a good guy. He doesn't. He doesn't deserve that. He just tried to put food on the table, and now he's in this situation. And I, I almost feel. I feel feel like, why did he work so hard to be put in this position?
1: Well, it's such an interesting story to me because, you know, I mean, and we talked about that on the Over the Road podcast. How these teamsters were solid middle class people, and and Tom Kirk did an interview of an old teamster who said they they their clothes were taken to the dry cleaners every week. They took their clothes to the dry cleaner until the energy crisis back in the 70s made the cost of dry cleaning skyrocket. And, um, and, and so he, he, he's kind of like this local middle-class guy and then he has to go gypsy around like the rest of us. That would be really hard for him.
2: It was, it's, it's interesting because I saw the change happen in my dad's personality. He went from a middle class guy, he was always around, he was involved in the Cub Scouts and go to our baseball games at night. When he became an over the road guy, his total personality changed. Um, He would come home, he was like, I'm the king of the house now. And um, he he was just different. And it was all about the trucks and having to leave. And our families did suffer from it a lot. We had a lot of personal issues that our families never recovered of. Not from infidelities, none of that happened, but um, just him not being around and other siblings having issues, and dad wasn't around, my mom had to take care of all that, and I was tough on her, and yeah, like I said, we, ha- we haven't recovered from that, and I look at that as an example of the reason I got off the road, because I wanted to be a die-hard road guy till the end, that's how I pictured my life going, and then I met my wife when I was 30, and I still ran the road, but I started, I was home more we get home on the weekends. And then when we had kids, I thought about how my dad was gone all the time and how, how the family life suffered. And I said, trucking is my love. Over-the-road trucking was my real love and passion. And to give that up was really hard, but I felt i got to be there for my kids. And I don't regret it one bit. And I live vicariously through all the roadie guys. And that's what I love watching on the Internet and social media and I miss it every day, and I got to take an, a trip to Ohio a few weeks ago, and I was like a kid in a candy store, visiting all the old truck stops, and I had a three series video on YouTube of just, it was, it was the best. But people said, oh, are you gonna go back on the road now? I said, no, I'm not going back on the road. Mm-hmm.
1: So how old were you when when deregulation happened and your dad lost the teamster job and had to go on the road how old were you I
2: was, I was 10 years old
1: So you really have a lot of clear memories of your dad before and after that's so interesting yeah. because and then you you really consciously changed like chose this course was almost like a reverse tra- trajectory of what your dad had to go through
2: It is and I almost felt like I was a traitor to the industry and my love and I was always, when I was a road guy, I never paid attention to local trucks, local drivers. I kind of, kind of looked down on them. I looked down on them. Oh, you're just a local guy. What do you know? I'm out here running by the mile. I'm making $0.23 cents a mile. I'm making big money out here yeah, I know. in 1992, you know? There, there is that thing yeah. where
1: like the, the local guys are like... And saying, now I'm
2: a local yeah. guy and I look at the road guys, but um, I don't look at them that way, but I feel like they're, they're judging me. Like, I oh, just look, you don't know, you don't know. and, I, and Whenever I get a chance, I get on the radio. If I see, oh, you're from Minnesota. Oh, I used to work in Minnesota. Oh, I've been there. I, yeah, hey, yeah. You're a long way from home. I I love to strike up conversations with these guys because <laughs> I miss it.
1: There's something to be said about um, when something is taken away from you. How your your ability to chronicle it becomes better. It's like, I think of like the old the country stars who had to leave the South and move North. Like. Um, I want to go home by Bobby Bear. That's mm-hmm. It's almost there. There's almost like a homesickness that yeah. propels you to, to make this art that you make.
2: And, that's right. It's true. And, and I, um, now that you mention it, I think about in 1995, I tried to make a change. I was driving for Budmeyer truck lines, running coast to coast in big, large car, Peter builds, and, you know, 4,000 miles a week plus. And Walmart was the big job to have. And I was 25 years old. That was... That was the job to get, and I got a job driving for Walmart. I was the youngest driver ever hired at Walmart in 1995, east of the Mississippi River. All cab over fleet, giving up the big road days to drive, and and it wasn't me. I lasted, I lasted a year. I went back over the road and did what I loved to do till till my kids were born, and I still love it though. I mean, I love my job. I work for great people. It, they they. Treat me like family, that's,
0: that's, that's, that's really what matters. Gaffin hauls locally today for A. Carrillo and Sons out of Waltham, Massachusetts. You can find some of his excellent video work via his YouTube channel, The Boston Trucker. Find a link to it in the show notes. I talked to another local hauler whose first love was likewise over the road hauling. His move back local involved a personal tragedy that befell his family at home. Terry Shelton's road to hauling in a dump truck in the region around Sevierville, Tennessee, flowed through his trucking family growing up farther east in Martinsville, Virginia. Terry told that story to me at the Large Cars and Guitars event in early May.
3: I'm from Martinsville, Virginia. My name's Terry Shelton. My dad was Walter J. Shelton, Junior. And uh, Me and him, when I was a kid growing up down there, he was a truck driver. He drove for WLA and he drove for Hatchet and Hatchet Trucking Company. And he brought the truck home a couple of times. And as a kid, you know, I got interested. Yeah. And he said, I'll show you how to drive. He said, Son, I'll teach you anything you want to know about how to drive a truck. Sure. He said, But don't ever come back and tell me I was wrong. He said, Because once I teach you, you're not going to want to go home. So he started teaching me. And then my older brother got into truck driving. Well, me and my dad got into an argument, and I took off to War, West Virginia. Okay. In War, West Virginia, they had a place called Swiss Land Truck Driving School. Okay. And it said free truck driving training. Yep. Train you how to drive a truck. Okay. I said, sure, I'll do that. So I got right off a bus, nothing but a backpack, went over there, jumped in a truck. Gave it all I had for about two weeks. He come out there and gave me a license. Yep. Well, they put me in a job driving hauling steel. Okay. First job I ever done. I scared to death because I was by myself. Didn't know nothing about a truck, really, except how to drive it. And a little bit about this and that on it, everything they taught me in school.
0: What was the uh, time period here? What are we talking?
3: about? It was about, That's about 93, okay. 93. And uh, he stuck me in a truck and he said, if you can drive it, I'll hire you. And I took him around the block and he hired me on. And I run for him for about a year or two. And then I met this guy down in West Virginia. He said, I need a driver. He said, I need somebody to drive a truck for me. And he had his own little trucking business and he was hauling heavy equipment. And I said, all right, I said, I'll take it. Well, my brother and my dad may never talked that much after that for a while. And then my dad finally come around to me one day cause I'd moved back there. And he said, son, he said, how you like that truck driving? I said, I still blame you for it. He said, well, he said, I figured you would after a while. Well, my mom took me over to pick up a truck one day. And she was outside the car and she said, you're going to haul that? And we had a big track loader that I'd loaded on the trailer. And I said, Yeah, I'm going to haul that. She had never been in the truck before. Wow, she man. said, I ain't rode with your daddy nowhere before. She said, But I'd like to find out what it's like. <laughs> so I said, well, Mom, climb on up in the cabin. I put her in the cabin. My mom rode down the road with me and watched me unload this thing. Happiest in person in the world. She loved me for driving. She loved it. And then every time I pull in the truck, she'd be right there. And then I Got Where married. Were you,
0: were you working with you your dad's company then? No, I was, was working for
3: a oh, okay. company out of, it was out of Danville. They was hauling just heavy equipment. Okay. And uh, so when I left there, a guy had a truck for sale, And he didn't want much for the truck. The truck was beat to pieces. It was old Peterbilt. Old one, yeah. And he said, uh, give me a thousand dollars for it. He was good friends with my dad. He said, give me a thousand dollars, take it home. I said, all right. So I took it home. My dad raised cane at me for buying it but he put all the parts on it. Okay. He bought all the parts, he was driving long haul, he bought all the parts for it, and he was working for Hatchet and Hatchet Trucking Company. Okay. So he put all the parts on it, new wheels, tires, everything it needed. He said, it's all yours. He said, take her easy and just be careful with it. I said, all right. He said, whatever happens, it's on you. Well, I married just a high school sweetheart named Savannah. She come out of high school and I married her, and we had a little daughter together. We bought a house. The truck paid for the house. It paid for everything. And I was running, just hauling for different companies because I was a road driver myself.
0: Were you, uh, yeah, were you working with brokers, things like yeah, that? Yeah, just brokers
3: yeah. and different things like that. Well, this guy calls me up one day and I was looking at it on the internet and he had a load going somewhere. And he said, uh, if you want it, you can have it. Well, he canceled the load and he said, we're going to send you to LA instead. I said, okay. I said, I'll take it for the right price. So he priced the load to me and I said, I'll go get it. So I went and picked the trailer up that day and my daughter, she was about one years old and she every time she seen that truck coming in the yard, she was out the door. Daddy's on his way. She could hear that jack brake coming down the hill. She was out the door. She'd be on the side of the truck before I got it stopped. If I didn't watch her, she'd run up under the truck. She'd climb up on the side of the truck. Let me help you get your suitcase, (laughs) Daddy. And she's little, she'd drag it across the yard. Well, they sent me out there to LA and that morning I got up and said, Well, you know, I said, I gotta leave at six o'clock in the morning. Well, if she knowed I had to leave, that kid was out of bed an hour before. Right. And she was waking mama up to make coffee. She said, daddy's gotta leave in the morning. You gotta make <laughs> coffee. He's gotta have his coffee. So they poured me a cup of coffee and I'd get in the truck and she'd sit on my lap and play with the steering wheel a few minutes while I filled out my log book. I got in the truck that morning. If I'd have noted, I'd never left. I set her down on the ground, pulled out and I left. And I left out of Carolina. I was heading up the interstate on seventy seven down there, and I got about half, about maybe 40 miles up the interstate, and I got the phone call. Need to come home. Turned the truck around, and dropped the trailer right where I was at, and I headed to the house. And I pulled in my yard. My wife and daughter was in my house dead. Somebody broke in. The law said they was trying to rob her, and they broke in the house. And they took a bunch of stuff out of the house, and they shot her and my daughter right there in the house. I was living in Martinsville at that my, time. And uh, once they done that, I got back in the truck and I didn't know what to do. I sat there in the truck and waited till they got through. And when I went back in the house, I broke down. I said, I can't take it no more. And I didn't want to get back in the truck and I didn't want to go nowhere. And I got back in the truck and I drove to a truck a truck sales place and talked to the guy and he said, look, he said, I'll buy the truck off of you. And he gave me what I wanted for the truck. and. Uh, after more than that
0: thousand dollars yeah you put into it. yeah well, your dad probably put a lot of parts in, yeah anyway. he gave
3: me he gave me on way on up there twenty seven thousand oh, dollars for yeah. it and yeah. i took him to end up buying a trailer and okay. i got married to a girl named jennifer jennifer shelton yeah. well at the time it was jennifer shockley i married her <laughs> and uh we moved to princeton west virginia well bills started coming due and things started getting bad and we was getting ready to be evicted we was getting ready to be homeless and uh I told her, I said, you know, I can always go back to driving the truck. I said, but I don't want to. She said, well, she said, something's got to pay the bills. And I couldn't do fast food. I couldn't see myself in fast food. I tried it, tried going in a warehouse work and I couldn't That's do it. Stuff, yeah. Cause everywhere I went, it was like, I seen that truck. That truck was going back into that loading dock and it was going to give me that urge. Right. And it's like, once you get that taste of diesel in you, it's there, it's no taking it out. So <laughs> I said, all right, I said, I'll find something to do here. An old guy said, hey, I need an asphalt driver. I drive in a dump truck. <laughs> All right, I'm ready. He said, it's local. So as soon as I got in the truck, first thing I did was turn on my cell phone and I put it on the speaker and I left her on the phone for eight hours straight. Because yeah, I kept talking to her. It. It's
0: that separation thing. Yeah, right? anxiety. Like, man, you've been dealing with that for a long time now.
3: Uh-huh. Yeah. I've been dealing with that for almost 15 years.
0: Big thanks to Terry Shelton and Mike, the Boston trucker Gaffin, for their time. And to you for hanging with us through to the end. Overdrive Radio is a production of Overdrive, the voice of the American trucker. It's edited and produced by me, Todd Dills, with the ongoing support of trucker songwriter and Overdrive contributor Paul Marhofer. Here's a big thanks to him for his contribution to the podcast today. Overdrive Radio is backed up further by Overdrive news editor Matt Cole, social media coordinator Holly Young, and executive editor Alex Lockie. Till next time, to keep proud